Some are saying on Twitter that Texas Tech is the worst football team to ever play football in the history of America. Is that true? This is Locked on Baylor. You are Locked on Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to Locked on Baylor, and thank you for making Locked on Baylor your first listen every single day. Kyle Jacobson. Is joy- I don't know why I said it like that. It's the second day in a row that I've just completely, the intro has been very ominous about it. Kyle Jacobson from Gambling Gauchos joins the show today. Kyle's got the little cactus next to him, which he can explain what that's about later. First, Kyle, there are rumors swirling around Twitter right now. Not only that Lubbock smells bad, but also that Buddy Holly hated it and that it is just the worst place to ever be with the worst football team ever. Can you represent all of Texas Tech trying to address said allegations? Yeah, I would. So, I mean, I moved here. I was born and raised in the People's Republic of Austin, which is about 300 miles from Lubbock, and it's even further culturally. And graduated from Texas Tech, decided to stay put. So I love it here. And that's, that's kind of, you know, the stuff you alluded to is that, you know, pretty go-to trash talk, but what you may not know is that I don't know if any Baylor fans will. Maybe this is the wrong fan base to use this factoid on, but uh, about 80% of the Texas wine grapes that are used to make Texas wines are grown right here on the high plains of Texas. So uh, that we've got that going for us. City of about a quarter million people, so I always say it's kind of like Goldilocks-sized city. It's not too big, not too small. There's plenty of amenities to keep you busy but it's not so crowded and you know, you don't deal with the traffic and high cost of living and all that good stuff. So I love living in Lubbock. Kyle, you have just told me that not only does it smell bad, but there are also alcoholics who have strayed from the grace of God. You're exactly right. That is the wrong fan base to brag about wine to. I think you um, drink wine, didn't he? We do. Okay. Sure. Non-alcoholic wine. No way you could prove otherwise. Okay. Um, we do have a Valley Mills vineyard, which is very nice. The the matchup this week between Texas Tech and Lubbock, I found out a, a cool fact. I've been following. It's my favorite like Twitter, rival, tw- Twitter rivalry that exists in all fan bases. TCU fans, they get up in arms about stuff. Texas fans are the same way. Texas Tech fans are like the jabs just hilarious. They go back and forth this week always. The butt bowl. And I think social media really embodies that. Uh, our friend Evan Abear Evan even tweets that Texas Tech has never finished a season in the AP Top 10. Kyle, is that true? I guess so. Um, you know, I was thinking about some of our best seasons, and they always seem to – so the advantage of the AP poll is – or the disadvantage is it punishes people who lose later in the season. True. And so some of Texas Tech's greatest seasons were like 10-0, and 10-1 type starts, but finished 11-2 and or something like that. And so they were – I guess seventh or whatever going into the bowl game and like 1976 comes to mind. Uh, that yeah. team shared the Southwest conference championship, but last regular season game of the season, they run defeated going in, they lose to Houston and then they lose to Nebraska in the bowl game. And so going into the last game of the regular season, they're actually thinking we might play in the cotton bowl for a shot at the national title. And then I guess they wound up outside the AP top 10 that year. So maybe not exactly reflective of how good of a season they had. Um, but I've also never been to a, an opposing stadium where they hung a banner for an AP top 10 finish. So mm. I don't know. 
Mm, very well said, Kyle. That was a good little that was a good little jab back. Um Baylor, I, I'm not sure if Baylor has any of those, but they could. That would be a very Baylor thing to do, interestingly sure. enough. Um also I've heard that if Texas Tech, if you select the right 39 games, they have never won a game against Baylor. If you omit just the perfect amount of games, they're 0 40 and 1 against the Bears. So that was that was a me fact quoted for a lot of folks are playing that game this week of just picking and pulling in every yeah. direction. Um yeah. I, I can saw that. I think somebody tried a tweet in that same vein, but a little bit more earnestly than you did. They basically said, like, well, if you take out all the years Baylor was really bad, then we actually lead the all-time series by a dozen or so. Right, which is a great point. It's not right. untrue. Like, if you take out the bad stuff, sure. you know, it's yeah. dominant, honestly, which then there are stretches where Texas Tech wins, like, 18 of 20 games in this series. It keeps going back and forth. But, again, if you take that out, like, basically it's it's yeah. all Baylor in there, really. Um <laughs> Kyle, such a fun historical matchup. What for you as a Texas Tech fan? Give me, give me your kind of. Um, for me, like I have recency bias. I'm in college right now. I'm a senior right now. So a lot of the Texas Tech matchups that I think of are ones that came in the last decade or so. What are the ones that stick out for you between Baylor and Tech that make this series the true butt bowl that it is? Well, I think so. Texas Tech fans, for one, you know, if you ask them who is your who's your number one, number two rival, you know, the default would be Texas and A and M probably. I think the A&M rivalry has kind of waned over the last decade just because they've obviously not been in the conference. But a little historical tidbit that I always point out to people is Texas Tech has actually faced Baylor more times than any other opponent, including Texas, TCU, uh, folks like that that they've shared a conference with for a long time. So there is kind of some cool history there. Um, But as far as the memorable games, I mean, not all of these are good memories, but I remember 2014 was Patrick Mahomes' coming out party and – not a good season for Texas Tech. It didn't really matter if they won that game or lost it. I mean, they weren't going to a bowl either way. Baylor was knocking on the doorstep of a potentially college football playoff um, uh, berth. Yeah. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, literally threw for 600 yards. And that was the one I was like, okay, you know, we at that point thought we had Jarrett Stidham coming in, another yeah. little connection there. But I was like, I don't know if Jarrett Stidham will start next year if this kid is still here. Yeah. And, of course, we know what Patrick Mahomes turned into. Um, let's see. The first game back in Lubbock after the series shifted from Arlington, both teams were dreadful. I think it was a 1-4 and four versus 2-5 and five matchup, something like that. But Tech finally kind of got off the snide against Baylor and won on a last-second field goal. Um, and then the game that pretty much did Cliff Kingsbury in, you know, he had a shot to, I think, save his job in 2018, both of the last two weeks of the regular season. Yeah, And we lost in Manhattan, kind of had one more shot to get bowl eligible against Baylor. And I guess this was Matt Rule's second season. I think both teams were playing for bowl eligibility, if I remember correctly. Yeah, And uh, the Bears got the better of the Red Raiders, and uh, Cliff was fired, I think, the next day. So those are some ones that stand out over the last decade or so. Yeah. Wonder, wonder whatever happened to that guy. Must have really not worked out for him after he got fired by yeah. Texas. So this is actually really funny. Um, I was – I some old thread on a message board got bumped from like years ago when Cliff was still here. And, you know, it was when we were struggling toward the end of his tenure. And one of these message board posters was like, you know, it's not as if a bunch of NFL teams are calling for Cliff Kingsbury or something like that. And then like he gets fired from a college program and then gets hired to be a head coach in the NFL. So kind of a strange um, career trajectory there. But uh, yeah, he had the Cardinals kind of going in the right direction until this season. Now they don't look so good. Maybe that'll change with DeAndre Hopkins coming back. But uh, yeah, he's he's staying busy, I guess. 
Yeah. All the weird connections, all the weird things and the ins and outs of this rivalry are, uh, again, something that I have always kind of cherished in that both these fan bases seem so chill with one another in an odd way, uh, despite their pretty vast differences. But looking at Saturday's game, to me, the first thing that I point out uh, or that I point to is Baylor struggles on the road, especially in night games. And J.J. Joe mentioned that. But Kyle, before we dissect, you know what? I'm going to leave you on for the ad read because I, I got a question for you before we dissect this game. Yep. Uh, are you... You know, Kyle, you and I, we go back, way, way back, like high school era. Uh, you, you a sweaty guy? You feel like you're more of a sweater, like can't wear the gray shirts out and about in public? Uh, yeah. So it turns out I am too, um, oddly enough. That's why I usually wear the dark colors, and I don't – I forgot my sweat block today. Sweat block, though, one of our newest sponsors at Locked On, has, um, is alleviating sweaty people everywhere right now. Uh, if you're like our friend Kyle here and have a big sweat issue or have had one in the past, sweat block's the place to go. Um, that's where I fix my problem, and it is created by a doctor who had an excessive sweating issue. That doctor it is now – recommending as well as many other doctors sweat block. And if you or someone you love is experiencing that as well, try sweat block, save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. Uh, Kyle night game, Lubbock, Patrick Mahomes will be back on Saturday, which people are making like a huge deal out of this is if he doesn't come back um, every year or two. It's not like one of these grand returns, but it seems like it's being celebrated as such as it probably should be, you know, but RG3 comes back every three weeks and they're like, oh, there's RG3. Um, For you guys, night game, blackout, is this going to be one of the better atmospheres you get out of this out of this place even all season? I sure hope so. You know, I think the fans of this program have been waiting several years for a meaningful game later in the season. And of course there's added juice when it's a night game under the lights and everything. And so, yeah, they made it a blackout. You know, this isn't a game that is probably going to have conference title implications or anything like that. Yeah. But I do think, you know, it is a bit of an in-state rivalry and uh, you know, you've got the whole angle of Joey McGuire playing his former school, Patrick Mahomes being inducted into the ring of honor and Texas tech hall of fame. So, yeah, it sold out, um, I believe, two or three weeks ago. It was great because they announced a sellout right on the heels of Texas losing in Lubbock. And as they departed, all their fans saying, well, I guess Tech will never sell out another game ever again because Texas isn't coming back to town. Yeah. And then, uh, like, two home games later, we have another sellout. So that was nice timing for sure. But, uh, yeah, I hope that especially the students, you know, students are about a fourth of the stadium Yeah. Uh, when the student section is full. So I hope they really show out. and. Really the problem, I'm sure you've seen this some at Baylor, maybe to an extent, because this seems pretty widespread in college football. The students show up for a quarter and a half, and then they leave to go do tailgating. And it's like, no, we need you. We need your energy in the second half, especially in a competitive game. So I, I think and hope the atmosphere will be pretty strong, and, and I think we've been waiting a long time for that here. Yeah, interestingly enough, I think it, it goes game by game, too. As the season wears on, students start showing up less post-halftime. Um, first game of the year, Albany, why would they stay? Well, they did the whole game. And then against Oklahoma State and against Kansas, it's just like this constant flow of people that are leaving the stadium. So that's going to be – and I, I'll, I'll say, too, I would like to think – I don't want to put you in a box, Kyle – I would like to think tech students probably drink a little more alcohol than Baylor students. Um, so I, don't, I think most Baylor students like they're, you know, two thirty kickoff Bible study at six. 
They yeah. got to leave at halftime. Um, so maybe that's the issue on the Baylor side. But for Tech, that's that's something that Blake Shapin and company have to be ready for. Is an atmosphere that they they swallowed under the pressure. They balked the pressure of BYU being on the road a couple of weeks ago. And now you get a matchup in Lubbock. Their fans will be yelling a lot more vulgar things than the BYU faithful were spitting at you in Provo. Um, I do want to look at the the quarterback battle individually to me is really intriguing because neither of these guys have been considered to be top quarterbacks in the Big 12. When you open up your top five and talk about the best offenses in the league, neither of these offenses are really thrown out there. But Donovan Smith and Blake Shapin both have very comparable numbers in that Shapin, 1,600 yards, Smith, 1,500, 12 touchdowns for both guys, seven interceptions for Smith, uh, five interceptions for Shapin. This is like it feels like a model of one quarterback and another who look very similar uh, going toe to toe. Well, I think well, I, I don't want to speak with too much certainty, but I think it'll actually be Baron Morton starting for Texas Tech, and you know, we confirmed. Started, Ooh. we started three quarterbacks this season. Tyler Shuck was the starter coming out of camp, yeah. injures himself in either the first or second quarter against Murray State, the season opener. Now he's cleared to return, and that's kind of the main point of contention. Like, does he? scoot back into that job that he won coming out of camp or has Baron Morton done enough after starting the last two games at Oklahoma state and versus West Virginia to hang on to the job. And then in the middle of those two guys, you had Donovan Smith start for, let's see, four games yeah. and, uh, with, with mixed results, both across games and within games. So, and I think no matter who starts, if if they're not playing well, there's you know going to be a readily available backup that they might make a switch. Um, but all that to say, you know, the offense you run here at Tech is, uh, of course, kind of starts with the quarterback. And really until the West Virginia game just this past weekend, yeah, Tech has made very little attempt to uh, maintain any semblance of balance running the football. And so even with these young quarterbacks at times making their first, second career starts, things like that, we're still throwing the ball 50 times a game and, and dropping yeah. back even more than that. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of passing no matter who the quarterback is. Now, each quarterback has kind of different strengths and weaknesses, but I would be a little bit surprised if Tech tried to have any semblance of balance or tried to use a run to set up the pass. I think they're just going to come out guns blazing like they have all season. Yeah, that was one thing. Look at the statistics that found so intriguing. He's got three guys who have logged passes on the year for Texas Tech and trying to dissect even more than the last couple of games and what he was able to do, especially against West Virginia. The offense looked like it clicked yep. just top to bottom. Really, both sides of football clicked against West Virginia. Um are you promise that Donovan Smith won't play? Because I really, gosh, I like when he does. Because Baylor, that usually means good things for Baylor or the opposing team. So, can you give me, can you like call Joey or something and make him play Donovan Smith? Uh, well, so you might see that they've been talking about a, a three quarterback formation ever since fall camp, and they have yeah. used Donovan in some kind of like heavy goal line packages. Uh, they've lined up different quarterbacks at tight end. So I think it's there's good odds that you'll see him in some capacity. I just don't know if it'll be like catching the snap and making a pass. I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd say good odds you see more than one quarterback, no matter who gets to start. Um, and for whatever it's worth, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this, actually, if you don't mind. Um, coming into the season, my uh, podcast co-host and I, we did a bold predictions segment before the season started. Yeah. And said that Blake Shapin would be – at the end of the season, he'd be Big 12 first-team quarterback, which it's not trending that direction. I don't I don't think he's played terribly or anything like that, but like you have a guy like Duggan emerge, and yeah. Sanders, Oklahoma State, are going to win a lot of games. But you, you certainly see flashes of the talent with Chapin, but do you think through the first half of this season, 
has he underwhelmed expectations? Um, yes, for sure. For sure. And I don't, I think I like the way you put that question is the underwhelmed expectations because the stipulation of that is that expectations were way too high. There was a lot of pressure put on a guy who had thrown five career touchdown passes coming into this season. He only thrown five career touchdown passes um, and only gotten to start in a couple of games over the course of his time, you know, that Texas Tech game um, in Waco last season. So I don't think anybody really had a, a leash on where they put Shapin's ceiling, and that has gone back to bite him. The pressure that was put on him in the offseason by the coaching staff even saying, hey, you're better than someone so much so that we're going to allow this guy to transfer out because you're so much better than the guy that started our whole season, just piled and piled on. Um, you've seen him waver a lot, and J.J. Joe said it on yesterday's show that he's he's broken a few times. You know, made that crucial mistake in the situation where you can't do it, where you're seeing his youth show out. So he's just inexperienced. He's only started nine games as a college quarterback, and I think those expectations were way too high for a guy that could be really good still, but is he's a year away from being first team, second team, all big 12 caliber. And you're right, Max Duggan, Spencer Sanders, those guys have shown up and just been really, really solid. Um, but in the wake of shape and struggling, Richard Reese has been kind of your saving grace as your, your fallback. I mean, the guy's a true freshman who has been one of the more electric running backs. I'd say even in the big 12 over the last couple of weeks, especially uh, had 180 yards rushing uh, at home against Kansas too, and a couple of touchdowns. So Baylor fans really excited about him. Uh, as far as the ground game goes for Texas tech, I know it's similar to Baylor's and that you got kind of a committee of guys you go to, but it feels like Taj Brooks has stepped up and even last week had over a hundred yards. And, and I really like what I saw from him. Yeah. He definitely kind of took the reins last weekend against West Virginia, uh, two touchdowns. I think he eclipsed a hundred yards or was close to it, but yeah, it really, even game to game, it kind of switches back and forth between him and Sir Roderick Thompson. Yeah. Now, they're different style backs. Taj is very much between the tackles, one cut North South. So Roderick Thompson is great at making guys miss in space, probably a little bit more high-end speed. And so you see him make a little more plays kind of sideline to sideline. And so maybe they did, they get different snap counts based on uh, opposing defensive personnel formations or just game flow, game script. Um, but, yeah, you, you could see either one of them. It's been 50-50 at times, and there's been games where they lean more on Sir Roderick Thompson. There's been games like last weekend where they lean more on Taj Brooks. Um I do expect, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I do think that kind of the middle of Baylor's defense is stronger mm -hmm. than like the secondary and the back end. Yeah. So that might lend itself more towards Sir Roderick Thompson's game than, than Tosh Brooks's game. But uh, you never know. I mean, I do think you'll see a heavy dose of both, and it could just be a matter of who's playing better in the moment. Yeah. Kyle, before we get your thoughts on Baylor and the challenge that they present to Texas Tech, Xavier White feels like his stepped into a role. He's got the most rece receiving yards on the team, but it's nothing flashy. Very reminds me a lot of Gavin Holmes for Baylor, where he's been the guy at times, but not necessarily consistently. Does it feel like a top one, two, three guys are starting to make their way out of this receiving core, or are they still trying to figure that out? To be honest, it's kind of been all over the place. So against West Virginia, where you found a lot of success, you completed passes to 11 different receivers. Um, there have been games where the tight ends are featured very prominently, and there have been games where we don't target the tight ends at all. Um, Xavier White has really emerged in the last three games. He took over for who was probably our best receiver, Miles Price, um, another slot receiver kind of guy who suffered an injury at Kansas State. And in those three games, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, 
Xavier White is averaging more than eight receptions per game, more than 100 yards per game, and one touchdown per game. So he is in magnificently in Miles Price's absence. Now, here's the interesting thing about this is Miles Price should be back from injury for this weekend. So are they both going to play in the slot at the same time? Um, Would that result in fewer reps for the tight ends? Are we going to go five wide? I don't exactly know what that's going to look like. I think Xavier White has certainly earned some playing time at the slot receiver position, but he was kind of filling in for – a guy that a lot of people thought was our best offensive player. Then on the outside, totally different game. Uh, you've got Loic Fungi, Jaron Bradley, Trey Cleveland. They're all 6'5 body types. Um, none of them are burners. You know, they're going to be physical, hopefully win one-on-one battles down the field. Uh, but kind of just a, a wide spectrum of receivers in this offense. And that's lent itself to, you know, Jaron Bradley went off against Oklahoma State. I think he only had about three catches against West Virginia. It was a lot quieter. Um, so again, you've got different options there and it's kind of like the running backs. It might just be a, a case of, you know, instead of having that one go-to guy that you know is going to be featured prominently every game, it might just depend on what they're seeing scheme wise from the opposing defense. It kind of dictates who gets more targets. Offense by committee. That's been a lot of Baylor even this year. Wide receiver, running back specifically. You've seen five different guys probably run it, line up at running back this year, and the receiving core has featured same deal. I mean, there have been games with 10 guys catch the ball and games where four guys catch the ball, and they've had success both ways. Kyle, speaking of that Baylor offense, I want to get an idea of how Texas Tech fans and even from what you've heard from the team this week in media media availabilities, how they feel about this game. But first, I tell the folks at home about one of our, it's probably my, I don't know if it's my favorite sponsor at this point, but it's close to it in Bet Online because Bet Online is where I went this past weekend, uh, college football and NFL and made $100. Now, I took that $100. And I decided I'm going to parlay this. I'm going to, I'm going to parlay it on the Patriots line Patriots spread Patriots spread and the under and obviously neither of those things hit Patriots lost by what 33 to 10 so the over hit and the Patriots certainly did not cover but I went back down to zero because all that hundred dollars just put me back down to zero it was a lot of fun I had a lot of fun watching the game rooting for the Patriots because Cameron Stewart's a big Patriots fan I can do all that because betonline.net is where the game starts go check it out right now betonline.net great podcast I got all the scores podcast I said podcast uh, scores everything you could want in not just an interface to go do live wagering, but also an interface to check out just really bringing sport to life. BetOnline.net, it is where the game starts. Go check it out. Kyle, uh, in Lubbock, Texas Tech, Joey McGuire, there's so many storylines going into this game. What is it that feels like the is the the mantra following Texas Tech? I know a lot of Baylor fans just are, are wholly prepared to lose. Are Tech fans scared of the Baylor team that comes to Lubbock this Saturday? No, they're actually overly confident, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and they were last weekend. You know, They're just like, oh, West Virginia's the worst team in the conference. We get them at home. Baron Morton starting. We're going to torch them. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I think you're favored, but yeah. you can lose this game You know, four times out of ten. And, of course, Texas Tech did deliver a great performance, a, a convincing win. And it's kind of the same this time. It's like they think that we're trending up at the right time, and they think Baylor has kind of not trended down, but just sort of underwhelmed from where they were picked to start the season. And so you see a lot of that sentiment. People are pretty confident in a win, and I guess I've just got battered tech fan syndrome. I I can't quite get there. You know, I'll be nervous no matter what. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd say overall the fan base is, is pretty confident. Personally, I think it should be a, an, an extremely competitive game. I think that was reflected in the opening line. I think Baylor opened – Minus one most places is now flipped to tech minus two and a half. Yeah. 
But, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if, you know, we were into the fourth quarter and this was more than a one-possession game either way. Yeah, this week, uh, looking at Statso War, Parker on Twitter says, the final score projection per the computer is Baylor 33.5, Texas Tech 33.5, which certainly cannot happen, but it's predicted to be that close of a game if you were just played on paper. And I know being at Texas Tech is certainly going to sway that with the crowd and the way Baylor has addressed the crowd this season. But if the Red Raiders are going to win this game, how they got, how, how do they do it? What do they exploit of Baylor's to get it done? Well, like I alluded to, there's not really a balanced offensive attack. Texas Tech is going to have to throw the ball well. I mean, they uh, they just don't have the personnel right now to move bodies on the defensive line. Um, if, if Texas Tech somehow runs the ball 30, 35 times for 150, 200 yards in this game, I'll be shocked. Now, what Texas Tech does to sort of supplement the run game, because they don't have a traditional run game, is they throw a ton of these quick passes to the sideline with blockers out there, and they just let the receiver get four, six yards. And so I have a question for you. I mean, how confident are you in your secondary just in general defending the pass, but specifically your corners and safeties playing out in the flats and making tackles in space on a play like that? Yeah, too high safety has been something that's been a big issue for Baylor so far this season, just needing to kind of coddle the corners um, which is a sign of a young, inexperienced secondary. And that's been a problem against a lot of teams this season. Anytime an opposing team has torched Baylor, it's been because the too high safety look, um, giving giving quarterbacks a lot of time to run. You know, you get as long as the defensive line can't get to you and get can't get to you quickly, you're gonna have all the time in the world to do whatever you want to do. And that's been the case. Baylor's D-line has been very underwhelming, aside from probably last week against Kansas, where it felt like a lot more things clicked. Um, every game prior to that, you're just wondering where's Gabe Hall and Siaki Ika and Garmin Randolph and all these guys we heard about all preseason Jackson player, where, where's the difference they're making in the past game? Um, and that, that's an issue as good as the D line, the linebacking core should be. They have kind of ghosted Baylor over the course of this season, almost entirely. Um, especially when needed most. So that's the big thing. The secondary, I don't think is awful. You got to coddle the young guys a little bit and ask your your front guys to step up. And the front guys just haven't stepped up enough until last week to make a difference. And you're seeing that in West Virginia, scoring 43 points against Baylor and then only 10 points against Texas Tech. What what was that? I mean, like almost a defensive, I don't want to say outlier entirely, but to hold West Virginia to 10 points was extremely impressive from the defensive unit across the way. Yeah, I think a lot of that can be credited to the turnovers. You know, I, I think this was a mantra of Coach McGuire's even when he was at Baylor, but with the defense, he's always preaching, take three, take three, take three. Yeah. And through the first six games of the season, we did not turn anybody over three times. I think might have only turned somebody over uh, two times in one game once. And then all of a sudden you explode and you, you take four. And they were, they were crucial. Like they were passes intercepted in the end zone. Um, you know, fumble recovery near midfield, you know, they were crucial turnovers. But even beyond that, I mean, they held JT Daniels to, I think, about five and a half yards per attempt. I think they held the rushing attack under four yards per carry. So even if some of those turnovers don't materialize, I think they played a really good game on paper. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Texas Tech's run defense has been very solid. You know, it hasn't been amazing. You're not going to shut anybody down, but they've kind of survived okay against guys like Bijan Robinson. Now, they, they do struggle with quarterback run game, which I know isn't exactly Shapin's bread and butter, but um, I think they can hold their own there. And I think playing against the Jeff Grimes offense, you know, it's all about staying disciplined. He gives you so many different looks, motion, eye candy, play action, and then Baylor takes his shots over the top. And, yeah. you know, you just can't get beat on those. And so I hope that they're prepared to defend that. 
Uh, we do have a really good pass rusher, Tyree Wilson. He's been mocked in the first round of several NFL drafts. And so he's a guy that, you know, even played against the best of the best at left tackle or right tackle, he can make some noise and be a disruptor, even if he's not necessarily recording a sack or a forced fumble, you know, he just kind of, he makes the quarterback think and move and that clock goes a little bit faster for guys when they know Tyree Wilson's coming off the edge. So um, I think those are a couple things to look out for from the Texas Tech defense. Kyle, before we get you out of here, if you had to predict it today, what is your, not not even just the score, but the game in general, how do you think this one goes? Man. Um, it's not I'm, easy. Yeah, I'm not sure because I, I think both teams have showed different versions of themselves throughout the season. You know, I'd love to buy into this narrative that Baylor just doesn't play that well on the road. So, so here's basically what I think. I think if Baylor plays their best game and Tech plays its best game, that Baylor will win. But I think that Texas Tech's floor might be a little bit higher. You know, even in some of these losses at Oklahoma State, at NC State, yeah. at Kansas State, you know, they've played pretty competitively with some good teams on the road. And uh, at home, they've played pretty solid besides a, a bad second half against Houston. And so I think that Baylor is going to have to really maximize their potential and some things they want to do schematically to win. And if they're if they're at 75, 80%, I think that could be enough for Texas Tech to win the game as long as you know Texas Tech isn't making extremely detrimental turnovers and errors. So it, it's tough to predict. I see why all these analytics sources and the odds makers in Vegas have it as a, a coin flip either way. Yeah. Um, I guess if you were putting me on the spot and making me do a final score prediction, I'd go something like 34 to 31. Yeah. I'll lean Texas Tech just because of the home field advantage factor but I think it'll be a really close game. Yeah, Kyle, this reminds me a lot. You wouldn't remember it because you're not a Baylor fan, but Baylor and Iowa State played during the COVID year in Ames, and it was a Brock Purdy-Charlie Brewer matchup where Brewer leads the team out at Baylor up to a 14-0 lead, and Baylor kind of dominates the first half of that game and takes a lead into halftime, and you're feeling really good about it. So one of those weird, it was a night game. Neither team deserved a night game. In this scenario, it's kind of the same way. I mean, why are the eyes of America on this? And in that matchup, Charlie Brewer found a way to turn over, turn it over enough times in the second half to put Iowa State right back in and give them a seven-point win. I, I'm thinking the same thing for this. It's a Baylor, uh, Texas Tech's really juiced up pregame. Joey McGuire's really juiced up, and Baylor can maybe use that against Texas Tech, get an emotional team, take a couple strikes to score early. But then by the end of this one, it's just Texas Tech's night. Um, and I, I like that range. I think a 28, 35-28, somewhere in that realm, or a 31-28 on a field goal that ends it is where this game goes. And I, I favor Texas Tech, too, um, not just because you're on this podcast. I do still get paid to root for Baylor. and I, I pay to root for Baylor, by the way, as a senior. But that's that's the way I see this thing going. So, Kyle, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, please plug all of your stuff because, I mean, all the content you guys are coming out with this week has been awesome. And I hope all the Baylor fans are checking it out. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to come on and chop it up with you. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Gambling Gauchos. We have a podcast. We do two episodes a week, and then we do a Twitter Spaces every Saturday night as the college football games are wrapping up. That's kind of our look around the Big 12. And, of course, we're mostly focused on Texas Tech, but we do kind of take a peek at um, especially the gambling odds around the Big 12. And we will be previewing Baylor later this week, so we'd love to have Bears fans tune in if they would like to listen to that. Um, excited for the game. You, you kind of alluded it, alluded, alluded to it there at the end, the contrast in styles personality-wise between Dave Aranda and Joey McGuire. Like, Joey McGuire is going to be leaning into this like all-out energy, mayhem, chaotic scene in Lubbock. And Dave Aranda is, of course, you know, this peaceful, calm, like yeah. 
you know, I don't know. And so I'm interested to see who gets the edge in that respect in terms of preparation and how, how their respective teams come out. Hmm. Old boss versus the new guy. This is, it's the, the, not even like he's new blood, but Dave Aranda is not, I mean, he's three years into this job, uh, but there's still that narrative there that's been playing all week and it'll play in on Saturday as well. Kyle, thanks again for joining us. For those out there listening, thank you for making Locked On Bailey your first listen every single day and the number one Big 12 podcast from September. Let's try to do it again as we finish out October. This has been, always will be. Come back tomorrow. We're breaking down more Baylor and Texas Tech and the rest of the Big 12 all week long. Locked On Baylor.